Poland, uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. <laughs> Poland, probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausages. No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland, sausages, <laughs> pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. This is Margaret Bonikoska from Toronto, Canada, and you're listening to the 69th episode of Polcast, the only podcast in English about Poland and Poles around the world. This is actually our fourth, yes, it is our fourth Christmas together. For all these years and all these Christmases, we've tried to give you the most amazing stories from all over the world, which are connected in some way to Poland. And the great feedback uh, we've been getting from you is extremely encouraging. So we'll continue doing it. Today is a special episode because Christmas is coming. Actually, the most important day, as you very well know, during Polish Christmas is Christmas Eve. And it's just in two days. What you heard at the very beginning is a wonderful carol, Polish Christmas carol, Uh, sung by Magda Papiesz and Ola Turkiewicz. Ola Turkiewicz is a wonderful person who composed all the great jingles and all the musical elements in our podcast. So thank you, Ola. This is part of a of an album, a Christmas album, which was released 15 years ago. Magda in those days ran a music arts school called Mavo Academy of Arts and Music. And uh, on that album, you can hear beautiful arrangements that Ola and Magda did of traditional Polish carols. Uh, and they recorded it with kids born in Canada that were studying in that school who became mature, wonderful artists. This is where they learned in Mavo Academy of Arts and Music. Well, anyway, you can listen to the whole album when you go to our website, mypodcast.com, because there's a link to YouTube where you can find this album. It's a gorgeous album and beautiful recordings. And for me to look at the faces of these little kids in those beautiful carols and now knowing them and knowing how incredibly talented young people they became, that is a very, very moving experience. Thank you. 
Wysypcie się z nieba śliczni I can tell you one thing. In this episode, you're not going to hear all the stories about the traditional Christmas Eve dishes and Polish traditions at Christmas because you have that information everywhere. We've done it in every Christmas episode since the beginning of podcast. So I thought that the way to celebrate Christmas with you today will be to talk about something that it should be the essence of Christmas. doesn't matter whether it's a Polish Christmas or any other Christmas all over the world. Christmas should be the time, in my opinion, when we should really think about the deep meaning of what it is for us to be part of this world, to be living in this world, what it is for us to be surrounded by other people and what they mean to us. This is the time for stories, for stories about our families, but also stories about other people, stories that can inspire us, that can give us hope and that can touch our hearts. The stories today that I want to present to you in the usual form of my interviews with incredible people are stories that share that one thing. They will be moving, touching, but also they will be inspiring and uplifting. That's what I wanted to share with you 
during this special Christmas edition of Podcast. The first one that I'm doing alone. Uh, all the best to Tomek, of course, who has been helping all the time with the Podcast Facebook page and occasionally giving me pretty good technical advice, like today before I started recording this. Anyway, these stories are special. These stories talk about people in the face of difficulties, tremendous difficulties, not little things that we face every day, and their resilience, their hope, their optimism. For me, these stories have one common feature. They show how incredible we can be as human beings. Arthur Levinovich is only 26 years old. You know him from Podcast because we featured him in episode 59 in a story called Each Child Deserves to Learn Music. Arthur, a violin and viola player, composer, and teacher, has made it his life mission to help kids with various disabilities and special needs to learn to play the violin and enjoy music. His school, Singing Strings in Toronto, has been offering unconventional music education to everybody, including kids from low-income families. Arthur also participated in our charity concert last year's finale concert for the Great Orchestra of Christmas Charity, this incredible now worldwide charity campaign that we also talked about, very uniquely Polish. There's nothing like that all over the world. Arthur has been fighting cancer since August. What's special is that he wants to talk about it. So I did ask to interview Arthur for this special Christmas edition. This is my conversation with Arthur Levinovich. Arthur, do you remember what you felt the moment you were told that you had cancer? The doctor told me uh, to come see him at his clinic immediately. And that is when the information I, I heard from him uh, that I have uh, multiple masses on my sternum and on my lungs because of the from the CT scan results that I that got back to me uh, a couple of days prior. Um, afterwards, he sent me to emergency at Trillium. Uh, six days of testing and MRIs and CAT scan and CAT scans and CT scans, all of these uh, things to find out what exactly was my diagnosis. And then after the biopsy that I had. Uh, it was confirmed that it was testicular cancer. But testicular cancer that had already spread into various parts of your body. Yes. I had uh, multiple masses, like I said, on my, on my lungs, on my sternum, and I also had a little brain tumor. How did you feel when you heard all that? To be honest with you, I didn't want to tell my family immediately because uh, my dad is uh, working abroad, and I didn't want him to be stressed out. Uh, while he was working, so I waited until he came home. So I was, I had to hold on to this information uh, on my own. So I couldn't share this information with long? any of my family members for over 24 hours. Uh, it wasn't until uh, around 10 p.m. the following night I was at Trillium Hospital undergoing all of those treatments because I didn't even tell my family uh, where I was at the time. I told them that I was teaching and that I'll be back home in the evening. And then when the doctors told me that I will not be able to leave home. And then I have to be admitted to the hospital to continue with the tests to find out exactly what the diagnosis is. Uh, that's when I called my parents to tell them, uh, hey, mom, hey, dad, 
uh, come to the hospital uh, and bring me some food because uh, I won't be able to leave here. The doctors think that I have cancer. Apart from telling your family, which in itself was a, a big thing, of course, what things were going through your mind? Um, I was scared because um, I run the music school Toronto Singing Strings, and because I'm self-employed, I don't have any like employment insurance. So when I become sick, there is no money coming into my bank account. Uh, that was the biggest fear that I had because I had ongoing bills and my, I had a lease contract with uh, with the car uh, that I that I was driving. On top of that, this happened right after summer. So I went to Poland. I went to Europe. I traveled a lot. I of course spent a lot of money with hopes that in September I would come back and start teaching privately all my students. And of course I would have income and I wouldn't have to worry too much about it. Uh, it just I was in a very unfortunate situation that this hit me right after summer break, where I was already low on my on my savings and funds and that kind of stuff. Then knowing that I was going to have to take all this time off, uh, you know, without having a way of earning any income. Your very close friends, right, immediately reacted to the financial scare, and this fundraising campaign started, which was going like. Um, like a tornado, right? Like almost the next day, people donated enough money to meet the first goal because the goals kept changing. How do you how do you feel about this? I was very very surprised. Uh, at the end of the day, I have given my uh, my talents and my my music skills um, to a lot of people. I played at churches. I played during masses. I played Christmas carols. I, I played a lot, and a lot of times I didn't even take any money for it. So uh, people knew that I had kind of like a giving heart. And even though people, I always hear people saying, if you're good at something, don't do it for free. I always ignored that rule. And I always, you know, I, I always tried to give as much as possible. So it was really nice to see that uh, there are so many people that wanted to help me. And the great thing with the GoFundMe campaign is uh, a lot of people have reached out to me and they said, how can we help you? And, and you know, a good way this good the GoFundMe is really great because it gives people the opportunity to to help me out uh financially without me directly asking and you know for money or or asking friends for loans or something like that right so let's talk about where you are today so this has been going on for how many months now I got diagnosed uh in end of August and I started my chemotherapy early September so uh, September, October, November, and now December. I'm still undergoing some uh, treatments. I have uh, brain MRI scheduled. I have some CT scan scheduled, blood work, of course. And I'm still waiting for the, the possibility of, of surgery to remove the remaining cancer cells uh, from my lungs and sternum. But you never gave up. You're just so incredibly optimistic. Yeah, uh, another thing is that I was diagnosed with a very treatable cancer. Uh, testicular cancer is common in, in men between ages 17 and 30, from what I've heard from the doctors. And that gave me a lot of hope because uh, it, I didn't have to worry that in which stage of the cancer that I have or if I have a terminal illness. My doctors kept reassuring me during my chemo treatment that I will be healed in a couple of months and uh, I can go back to living my life the way it was. Uh, of course, this uh, situation has made me uh, change my outlook on the on the kind of food that I eat. I always worked out as well, but I never ate uh, clean, should I say. So I switched to a keto diet and I 
eat gluten free. I'm gluten free now, and I I try to eat as little red meat as possible, mainly chicken and turkey, white meats. I've definitely become healthy lifestyle oriented from this experience. Now, apart from, of course, from just like being sick and going through all these treatments and tests, you have used this time in a most incredibly efficient and productive way. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm making music, and I want to say that music is my lifeline. And uh, there are times comp- composing music. I'm putting an album together with a very, very talented uh, vocal artist whose name is Dominic Andrews. Um, we've been working together. He's been even visiting me at the hospital during my treatment, during my chemo treatments. And we have uh, connected uh, really well. And now we're working on an album together. I actually, speaking of which, I'm finished my sixth sixth piece for the album. Um, I'm recording all the violin parts right now. And uh, I'm looking forward to releasing this sometime in uh, early 2020. Working on music and, and recording music helps me forget that I even have cancer in the first place. And it's not until my mother comes through the door and reminds me to take my medication that I just, then it is, uh, I remember, I'm like, oh, I forgot I have cancer. I'm, I'm not working like at my teaching job, right? I'm, I, I lose myself in the music to such an extent that I totally forget that I'm even sick. What has this experience taught you? And what would be something that you would want to share with other young people? Because you're so young, you're in your 20s. You know, it's it's all about not giving up because ninety uh, percent of the battle you fight is it's all in your head as well. If you stay positive and 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 uh, keep reminding yourself that you're going to get out of this, and I didn't have any sort of form of depression while I was at Princess Margaret in the hospital. There's a lot of um, support programs for youth and adults. I was talking to a lot of psychologists and uh, and, and care workers. I didn't really see the need to enroll in any of those programs because I was already so fixated on my music and my composition and even playing the violin that, you know, that was my form of self-therapy. So at the end of the day, if someone has a passion, use this, use your passion and, you know, put your interest and like all your energy into what you, uh, you know, whether that be, uh, you know, writing a novel or painting a, a picture or, uh, you know, singing or you know, playing an instrument or filmmaking, right? There's different types of art out there. And I would encourage, you know, young people to pick up something that they can, you know, follow and continue uh, working towards and, and mastering their craft. And in March, we're going to hear you most probably because there's, a, there's an event planned for March. Is that right? Yes. On March 8th, also International Women's Day, I have an event planned at uh, five, uh, 511 Danford Avenue. Um, it's going to be at that Relish Bar and Grill in Toronto. And Linda Lavender, who's also helping me organize this concert, she was also the, the one to start the GoFundMe campaign on my behalf. She's helping me uh, put this concert together. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. This is where I'll be premiering uh, the new music that I've been composing during my treatment. So it's going to be a super exciting uh, day. So come out if you can. Of course. Come out, guys. This is very special. It's going to be the special music that was composed in the times when some people get depressed and others decide that this is the time to do something special. And you did. So anyway, we wish you the wonderful, most wonderful Christmas. And of course, finish with all your therapies and tests and treatments and just be happy and healthy. Thank you so much for having me.
piece is called Ease of Distress and the most recent composition for Arthur's upcoming album. If you want to learn more about him, listen to some of his music, as well as see some photos, please visit our website, mypodcast.com. yoga, kickboxing, runs around like any student at a university in New York. She studies business and psychology at NYU and Barrick College. Her life is busy. She has to be everywhere on time. She studies a lot, reads, completes her assignments. Marta Hanishkevich lives in New York. She's an active, optimistic, and happy person. The only difference between her and other students is that she is blind. I reach Marta in New York. Marta, where do you live in New York? You were born in Poland, right? I was born in Poland, in the western part of Poland. Mm -hmm. And what happened? How did you get to New York and how long have you lived there? Over three years. I used to live in Louisiana, but there was no really good public transportation there. It was very hard for me to um, to use the public transportation down in south uh, part of Louisiana. That's why I decided to move to New York City. But you didn't think of going back to Poland? No, I didn't think. I, I didn't think about going back to Poland. I come from a very small town. There was never like enough resources for me, a uh, legally blind person. Can you tell me what it means to be legally blind? What does that really mean? What's the definition of that? My definition is um, I had some light perception and I had some uh, usable eyesight, but it's like I'm not able to use it. It's not really usable. Sometimes I'm able to see that something is in front of me, something is moving, but it's very foggy. But your your blindness is not progressing. It is. It is progressing. Yes. You were not born blind, right? You You became gradually blind. Is that what happened? Yes, exactly. My parents had a gene mutation. What caused uh, that my retina got uh, the apart and deteriorate? I don't have rows and cones in my retina. From the moment that you started having some kind of problems with your vision up to where you are now, how long did this take? It started at school, the age of seven. I wasn't able to read from textbooks. I was like tripping over stairs. I had issue even recognizing my family faces. And was it a fast process when you realized that you don't see actually almost anything? Um, I think it took about eight years. Is there any way that this illness that you have can be cured? No, there is no, there is no cure. There is, there is no treatment. I am in the U.S. They are working on stem cell research on gene therapy treatment, but it's still not developed. There is, there is no, no cure for it. My retina doesn't like send any signal to my, to my brain. So really, 
what you had to accept in your life is that this is not going to change. Yeah, that was emotional, uh, emotional adjustment. And it still is sometimes. It's been a drastic change. And do you still remember when you saw things? Of course, yes, I do. I still have um, a visual a memory, I, I, I would say. But it, it, it's still tough. I mean, I was able to look at the pictures and I was able to, to see visually my, my family members. Now I'm not able to, to see anything. Is it a common illness? It's, it's very rare. It's very rare genetic disease. Here in the U.S., it's, it's more common, I think. In, in Poland, it took my gene, uh, gene therapist, like doctor, it took a while uh, to diagnose my, my disease. They have to uh, transfer my, to send my DNA to, um, to Germany, to Amsterdam. And I also study in Norway. Uh, I guess in Norway, I have access to more resources. But um, I mean, in, in Poland, was was very tough in a small town. I was homeschooled. I, I didn't have really access to resources. I had to transfer from one school to another school. Like I wasn't provide reasonable accommodations, I would say. Right. And then you ended up in Lasky, which for those people and most of our listeners are not Polish, so they don't know what it is. Can you tell people what Lasky is? It's a very famous place in Poland. Of course, yes. Um, it's a special special institute for the blind, run mostly by nouns. It's, it's it's a great institute. I mean, they they have great resources. Of course, it's near capital, and I mean, um, Warsaw is. It, I mean, it has been developing pretty rapidly. And uh, I, I mean, I could say I was I was very lucky that I got to Lasky. I learned English there. I had a great uh, volunteer who taught me English from New Zealand. And I also took part in the school exchange. Um, a rector from, from UK selected me to attend IB program. I did IB um, international baccalaureate. Um, I got my high school diploma in English. But what is so amazing with you is that you are so incredibly active. I mean, I was reading about the stuff you do, and I honestly couldn't almost believe how incredible it is how much stuff you do. I always was so active. I think that fear of me becoming like totally blind uh, always was was very frightening for me. That's why in order to keep like my, I guess, you know, my mental, mental state and not not being depressed i i struggle with anxieties with with depressions uh, i mean i don't blame my parents but they sometimes it was hard for them to come to terms with my eyesight condition and even in norway uh, actually one of my english teacher from canada uh, taught me how to ski i took part in uh, ski competitions in norway i did downhill uh, cross country skis in norway that was the competitions for people with any kind of disabilities and then you got that scholarship, right, in the States. Exactly, yes. I, I got a scholarship to attend a private college uh, near Illinois in Iowa. And what did you study there? I studied psychology there. Yes, I'm in my, at Baruch. It's, it's actually it's a public college in New York. 
I also got accepted to to NYU, but the tuition is insane. I, I got scholarship ten thousand dollars out of fifty thousand dollars. I'm I'm not eligible for financial aid and scholarships. I'm on a student visa, working towards obtaining a citizenship, but it's it's, it's a long process to be sponsored. I, I don't give up. I I just keep going. Well, one of the things that I remember reading in this article that was published in Gazeta is that you your your plan or your idea is to work with people who are blind right yes that that's my plan uh, for sure i want to give back give back to to blind mem- members i mean i'm i'm very lucky i'm a member of national federation of the blind it's like uh kind of yeah like canadian federation uh for the blind i'm a very active member of that um blind society here what do you guys do advocating i'm a strong advocate i attend a washington seminar go to dc and we we advocate it's like a lobbying to make law more accessible for people with disabilities when you compare the countries where you've lived because it was what it was poland and norway and now the united states if you look at those three countries where do you think that people who have the problem that you do who who have a problem seeing in which country do they have the most resources, have most help and feel that, you know, they're being cared for? Norway and U.S. are very competitive. And the sounds that Norway also provide a great resources for me. I had a, a reader who read for me all of my textbooks. I didn't have a technology in Norway. But here in U.S., I got access to great like screen readers, assistive technology, GPS, navigations. And the technology is just opened the door to so many opportunities for me. I feel like U.S., it's really advanced in technology. What are the biggest obstacles and biggest challenges for you? I have to deal with people's attitude, their misconceptions, I would say. Or just because you have your wine cane, sometimes I people judge me, oh, you are not capable of doing the job and applying for jobs. It's, I think it's a struggle for to change people's misconceptions that I can I can function as a sighted person. You have exactly the same uh, potential. I mean, you can do exactly the same jobs. You can function exactly the same way as anybody who can see, right? Exactly. That's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I, I do my best. When you say you want to work with the blind, with people who are in the same position as you are, what would be the most important thing that you would like to do for them? I would like to change their attitude, their approach that they can. I think I struggle with that in Poland and in Norway. I would, I would, I guess, uh, I couldn't accept my disability. I would like feeling ashamed of it, not knowing even how to educate society that my, my blindness doesn't hold me back. Uh, when I live in Poland, like not only my mom, but my mom was like, you cannot do laundry, you cannot see, you cannot clean. And when I went to one of the best training center for the blind in Louisiana, they changed that attitude. I would say I was so negative. I was like, how I could bake a cake? How can I, you know, make a casserole? And then they they showed me that I can do it. They changed my attitude, my, my mindset. I work with with blind kids in Philadelphia, uh, which really opened my eyes. I work with a family, and they have very wealthy family, having a lot of resources, but they were 
so overwhelmed of the fact that their son is blind. They didn't let their son to even walk, walk outside with his cane by himself. And he's at the age of 17. Never make his sandwich. He never, I mean, even tied his shoes. I was changing like his parents' attitude. Do you think you would be the same person if you could see? No, I don't think so. I think it's a blessing in the sky. I'm I'm more humble, more more passionate. I see things differently. I don't judge people just because of their skin color, their race. I'm a different person. I, I really feel like my my disability is it's not a disability. It's, it gave me a, a chance to see people from different kind of perspective. Knowing that technology, which is so advanced, can you give us an example of something that did not exist even maybe 10 years ago, but has been invented, it has been uh, developed, and it has changed the life of blind people to a great, great extent? I would say a Braille, a Braille display. It's such an amazing device that I'm able to connect my human wear. Actually, it's also Canadian device. Um, my Braille no touch uh, through Bluetooth to my laptop or to my smartphone. And I'm able to read anything in Braille, what appears on the computer screen. It's pretty incredible device. That is incredible. And especially I remember when I read that you could not or they did not teach you Braille at the beginning, right? Because they thought it was too late. No, sadly, no. I'm lucky. I didn't learn uh, Braille. I was at the age of 16. Uh, I, I mostly rely on a magnifier, Zoom text, um, magnification softwares. Well, listen, I wish you all the best and I hope you finish your studies and then you can give back because you obviously have so much energy and so many amazing ideas for many, many people who are in your situation. So thank you so much. Thank you. To learn more about Marta, as well as to get information about her GoFund campaign, to which you can contribute, please visit our website, mypodcast.com. Smacznego. We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two heritage Polish cookbooks called Polish Classic Recipes and Polish Classic Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. We're thrilled that this is our 50th episode of sharing our Polish heritage through our favorite foods. Now it's the holiday season, so today we're going to talk about elegant holiday entertaining, Polish style. You know, don't get me wrong, I love pierogi and cabbage rolls and kielbasa, but it's not fair that these are often the first foods that come to mind when some folks think of Polish food. Our cuisine can be elegant, sophisticated, and can absolutely astound the taste buds of the uninitiated. So let's talk about pulling together an elegant and delicious holiday dinner party that will just wow your friends without breaking the bank or overtaxing the cook. Each of the dishes is in our cookbooks and each can be prepared by a novice cook with just a little care. First, let's talk about your guest list. Six to 10 people is generally a good number, but that's driven by the size of your table. 
The personalities of your guests should be well-balanced to facilitate conversation. Think about who's shy and who's really outgoing and how they will complement each other. Will they have a common interest or connection? The best parties are when the conversation is lively and everyone participates. If the conversation lags, you might have a couple of icebreakers in mind. We've asked about favorite vacations or earliest childhood memories or to share something funny about their first dates. Not everyone will respond, but that's okay. For an elegant dinner party, you'll need a pretty table. Flowers, flickering candles, and soft music in the background are the formula for creating a welcoming atmosphere. Use a nice tablecloth, and then it doesn't matter what's hiding underneath. You know, I remember one dinner, which we served on a flat door laid across two sawhorses. Really? Your chairs should be sturdy and comfortable unless you deliberately want an early end of the evening. Folding card table chairs are fine. We use them all the time to supplement our regular dining room chairs. As the hostess, I want to be relaxed and not have to spend a lot of time in the kitchen away from the conversation. I always choose a menu that can be mostly prepared ahead of time with only one or two of the items left for the last minute. Take advantage of warming trays, pre-made salads, braised meats, one-pot meals, frozen desserts, anything to minimize your time in the kitchen. And oh yeah, these days, it's smart to ask about any food allergies or intense dislikes before your party. It'll save potentially awkward moments. Think about the pacing of your party. Invite your guests to arrive about 45 minutes before you plan to sit down to the table. Greet everyone with a glass of sparkling wine or a simple cocktail that you've made up beforehand. But don't forget the non-drinkers. Put out some nuts or cheese and crackers, but don't let your guests fill up before the main event. Try to keep everyone together for these first few minutes so that they can meet each other and chat informally. We've been to parties where everyone sits right down in a big spread out circle or wanders among several rooms. That's just a real buzzkill. I would never clear any dishes until everyone has finished what's in front of them, even if only one person is still eating. And don't start filling the dishwasher until everyone has gone home. It keeps you away from your guests. Try to serve the main course no more than five minutes or so after the soup or salad if you're having a first course. These days, we set, often set out the dishes family style and let everyone serve themselves. Of course, you can plate everyone's main course. It's a little more work for you, but it does allow you to present the meal more attractively. The choice is yours. But the hosts should sit, eat, enjoy, relax, and keep that wine flowing. Before bringing out dessert, let people catch their breath, maybe 10 to 15 minutes, especially if the conversation is going strong. You can clear the main plates, but stay away from that dishwasher. Offer coffee or tea with dessert. For coffee, we usually stay with decaf in the evening, since many of our friends are moving away from caffeine after dark. I'll prepare the coffee pot before anyone arrives and just push the start button when the main course is being served. I'm really good at that. Cheese courses after dessert are quite in vogue these days, and a glass of port or other sweet dessert wine is a nice touch. If you want to go there, you can prepare ahead of time a simple plate to be passed 
two or three types of cheese slices, some walnut halves, maybe some fig halves, a few grapes will more than suffice. But again, keep the balance. Not everyone's into stinky cheeses like Roquefort or Gorgonzola. Finally, please, please watch your guests' alcohol consumption. At our dinner parties, there's often a lot of wine being consumed, but we start right away to get the conversation going, and we also shut it off pretty early. Allowing your guests to drink and drive is not cool. And please be sure to accommodate and respect non-drinkers. Here are two very different menus with suggested wine pairings from the recipes in our books that can work well for an elegant dinner party Polish style. First, we like to greet our guests with a slightly sweet Prosecco. That's a sparkling wine like champagne, but it's from Italy. A favorite starter are crepes with sauerkraut and mushrooms found on page 17. It's one of our family's favorite holiday dishes. Paper-thin pancakes filled with a blend of savory sauerkraut and earthly mushrooms in an amazing combination. Oh, yum. I would pair that with a light red wine such as a Pinot Noir. A great Polish main course are beef rolls found on page 53. Each roll is a pounded, very thin slice of beef wrapped around a delicious stuffing. The surprise inside is a thin spear of Polish dill pickle that gives it a slightly tangy note. These rolls are braised in the oven, which allows me to enjoy my guest. I would pair these with an Australian Syrah or a California Merlot. A great side dish for the beef rolls or any other main are vegetables polonaise, which we have a recipe for on page 65. And for dessert during the holidays, I love to serve a traditional poppy seed roll found on page 74 of the classic desserts book. Variation on the previous menu would be to first serve my grandmother's dried mushroom soup. It's a hearty traditional soup found on page 37, which I would pair with a more hearty white wine, such as a white Bordeaux from France or a Chardonnay. In the book, we even have a time-saver version from my Aunt Irene, who loved to eat Polish, but made a career out of looking for shortcuts in the kitchen. A great entree, which can be prepared ahead of time, are the pork cutlets on page 49, with a side of red cabbage with apples on page 18. Pork has always been a mainstay of Polish cuisine, and these classic cutlets are very popular. The same white wine we served with our appetizer will also go well with these cutlets. And for dessert, another way to impress your guest is with a stately lemon tort found on page 41. It's light, bright, very lemony, and guaranteed to please. It sure pleases me every time she makes it. So the full recipes for each of these dishes are in our books, Polish Classic Cooking and Polish Classic Desserts. And they're available from any online bookseller, such as Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Or if you want a personally dedicated and autographed copy sent to you anywhere in the U.S., just go to our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. I hope your holiday dinner parties will be very successful. Peter and I are wishing you very happy holidays filled with the delicious Polish cuisine. Wszystkiego najlepszego na Boże Narodzenie i na Nowy Rok. Smacznego! I have counted that this is our third Christmas together. 
Okay. Okay. Yes, cool. because you guys were first time on our show in July 2016 in episode number 13. There's a whole story about I you. I think that's right. right. I, I remember that. Yes. Yep. The first Christmas we had was in 2017. So 17, 18, and this is 19. So three years. I really encourage you to regularly visit Polcast on Facebook. There are so many incredible stories posted daily. They all are related to Poland in some way. A fascinating story about Europe's biggest indoor water park, which is going to be open in Poland near Warsaw in spring of 2020. Very, very interesting development. Of course, if we're talking about Christmas, there's a great article about Polish Christmas recipes, and especially about Makowicz, the famous Christmas Eve poppy seed roll on the first star, where people sit at the table at Christmas Eve. Beautiful Christmas tree, which actually in Poland gets decorated or should get decorated on Christmas Eve, which is the 24th of December, not at the beginning of December as it is in the English tradition. And of course, Opłatek, the famous Christmas wafer that we all share just before our Christmas dinner. Our Christmas lasts three days. A beautiful thing that I love is when you set the table, you leave one seat and one plate for somebody who may knock on your door. Maybe somebody in need, maybe somebody you haven't seen for a long time, maybe somebody you haven't never met, but somebody who needs company and a place to spend Christmas. That's a beautiful tradition. For all of us, Christmas is special with its lights, decorations, feeling cozy and comfortable and safe. And because not everybody is safe and comfortable at Christmas, I want us to think about those that need our help. Just look around. Don't think only about yourselves. I think this is the time for giving. This is the time for thinking about others. And also time for thinking. And that's what I want to thank. I want to thank a lot of people for being there for me throughout the year. Wonderful, warm feelings that I got from so many people. I want to thank Connect, a fantastic organization of young Polish-Canadian professionals. Great organization where they managed to get together a lot of people who care about Poland. They don't necessarily speak the language, but as we said before, this is not sine qua non condition for being interested in Poland. Most recently, Connect, whom Polkas has supported since its very beginnings, has been very kind and has given me and Tomek awards at their last Christmas function. A beautiful get-together in a gorgeous place in downtown Toronto. Thank you for this distinction. I really appreciate both the beautiful flowers and an opportunity to meet people that I knew and people that I didn't know as well as this very, very sweet, wonderful plaque whose picture you can see on our podcast page. 
www.mypodcast.com and which says Connect Polish Canadian Professionals Association would like to formally thank Małgorzata Pibonikowska, that's me, for tremendous dedication to the sustainability of Polonia media and Polish storytelling in Canada, as well as ongoing mentorship and invaluable support of Polonia youth. Well, what can be more beautiful? Thank you, Connect. Thank you, all the wonderful young friends. In the stories that I have covered in podcast, and there are hundreds of them, young people have special place in my heart. It is so amazing to see how much you care, how much love you give, how many great ideas you have. You are the future, and we're so proud of you. And we wish you and all the other fantastic organizations and groups of people and individuals, people whom we've featured on podcast, people who have been listening to our podcast, and those who have been so generous and have supported us financially. Please share what we do, tell other people, send them links to our materials. But also, if you can afford it, we would be really happy if you could financially support our podcast as all other podcasts get support because it's the only way in which we can buy equipment, pay for the servers and all the other things that we need to pay for. But that's a different story. Maybe some other time we'll come back to this. Have the best Christmas ever. Very, very happy Merry Christmas and a wonderful, wonderful New Year. Wesołych Świąt, kochani, i najszczęśliwszego, wspaniałego Nowego Roku 2020. You are listening to special Christmas episode number 69 of podcast, produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska. Well, you'll hear me next year.
Jasnością, pójdźcie za naszą gwiazdą.